0: Good morning, church. It's good to be with you today. Good to be back in the house of the Lord, to worship Him and celebrate what He's done in our lives. And, you know, even for the hardships of the past week, we come to celebrate and say thank you, Jesus, for seeing us through that. And so I'm very grateful that you're here today. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Turning your scriptures to Colossians chapter 3, the rules for holy living. Many of you are familiar with the uh, name Stephen Curtis Chapman, and he wrote uh, a song entitled The Change. I want to read some of the words of that song. It says, I got the little Bible magnets on my refrigerator door and a welcome mat to bless you as you come across my floor. I got a Jesus bumper sticker and the outline of a fish on the back of my car. And even though this stuff's well and good, I cannot help but ask, what about the change? What about the difference? What about the grace? What about forgiveness? What about a life that's showing that I'm undergoing a change? I like that. Paul has been talking about in this uh, book of Colossians, the first chapter, the supremacy of Christ, and that he is worthy of everything that we've got. Everything that we give him, he is worthy of everything in our life. Second chapter encouraged us to walk with him, and that walk is such a blessing It it is a journey, it is an intimate journey that we initiate with Christ when we say, I do. And then the third chapter here are the rules for holy living as I expressed. Now you may have noticed that when I was preaching the first two messages that they seemed a little bit more doctrinal in nature. And that's because the first two chapters of Colossians are doctrinal. And then the last two chapters of Colossians... Uh, is practical living for Christ. And so that's what we're going to begin today, the rules for holy living. And so the way I want to uh, break down this chapter is simply put that we've got something that we have to put off to serve Christ. There are things we need to put on, and then there are things to put forth. And so God bless us as we get into this study today. I want to go ahead and have... uh, I want to read the text today in Colossians 3, and I want to just start with verse 5, and and I won't get to 17 that's on the screen. Uh, Starting with verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of these things, the wrath of God. Is going to come. In these things too, you once walked, and when you were living in them. But now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. And do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And therefore, that's why I call this first a point that we have something to put off. And that put off as the sin that we were so uh, involved in in our before Christ life. And so we put that off. While we were talking about coming here uh, to CCM to serve in this area, to serve Christ here, uh, that was back in October, North Carolina, where we lived. We're going through the hurricanes and through the flooding. And in eastern North Carolina, you know the story, you saw it on the news They lived it where their homes were underwater. Everything they owned was gone. It was ruined. Even sometimes their jobs where the business was underwater and they had to go, they had to leave, seek out a new house, new apartment, new things, a new job, everything. They had to start out a whole new life over again. And so with the flood ruining it all, We need to be reminded that our sinful previous life had ruined our relationship with God. And that Jesus Christ came, why? To give us that relationship back. To give us that relationship with His Father, an intimate relationship with Him. And that's what Jesus did for us. We read to put to death. In verse 5 it says... Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is is idolatry. Now, it's important to realize that who who is he writing to? And you say, well, uh, the church at Colossae. Yeah, that's right. But you got it right when you said the church. And so these things filter back into the lives of individuals in the church. And he is writing to say, put them to death. Don't live that way anymore. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. The new lifestyle must be our lifestyle. Now, last week we read in chapter 2 to see to it that no one takes us captive. Now, that's not a, a kidnapping of our body, although we'd want to make sure no one did that. But it is that someone would not take us captive as God's people through uh, worldly philosophy, empty deceit, or through human tradition. Now, there's a lot of traditions that are good. You've got good traditions at your home with your family when you get together, especially probably Christmas time. But there are human traditions that supersede the Word of God. There are human traditions we uphold over the word of God, and your human traditions can trump the word of God if you allow it to, and that's what he's talking about. Don't allow the things of this life to trump living for Jesus. So there he mentions in verse 5 some of the sins. That's not a conclusive list. It wasn't meant to be, but that was things that they were struggling with. He's going to mention some more a little bit later in the chapter. But we live in a culture where it's like everybody's doing it. And, you know, your mom told you what? Yeah, everybody's doing it, but you're not going to do it. That kind of thing. Well, we have died to ourselves. We died to that sin. We died to that previous lifestyle. And so we put these things off. And listen, if you're thinking I'm okay and you're okay, then try to explain why Jesus had to go to the cross. If everything is okay like it is, why has Jesus got nail prints in his hands? If everything is okay with me and you, then why did Jesus have a crown of thorns pressed upon his brow? He shed his blood because everything is not okay. We have sinned against God. We put off those things. But look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So when we think that we can be a Christian and delve back into the previous lifestyle, remember the sobering point of verse 6, that that's why God's going to come back and that's why there's a judgment day. If those things are okay to do and live that way, Paul reminds the church at Colossae, he reminds us, they're not okay. And we need to sober up. Uh, Excuse me. We, We do some pretty stupid things in our lifetime. Even as Christians. I mean, I've done them. That's how how I know I know to talk like that. I've done some pretty stupid things and I'm sorry before God. I'm telling you that there are things that when we live the life of a hypocrite, that there are things out there that we have delved into. The devil tempted us and we, we bit the hook and it left a mark on us and it won't rub off. It's there to stay. And everybody in the end is going to find out. And it's going to be ugly. And uh, you're going to be embarrassed if you keep it up. You need to repent before God. It's going to hurt for a long time. We, We have been guilty of unconfessed sin as a Christian. Secret sin as a Christian. Nobody knows type sin. Nobody will find out. And they eventually do. And then, then there's a game that we Christians can play. And it's I, that sin, oh, it's so ugly and it's horrible and it's evil when they do it. But when I do it, God understands what I'm going through. How does it work like that? Verse 6 tells us. Verse 6 reminds good Christian people, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And we don't have to be underneath that wrath because we're under the blood of Christ. But don't play the role of a hypocrite. The role of the hypocrite is the most ugly and vile, and I've done that too. That's how I know. Unconfessed sin. Our sin smacks God in the face because it says that my sin, what I want is more important than what you want, God. And so we we look at the things that we... Put off. Now, you're going to think that I have absolutely flipped my wig. Because how many of you back in the uh, 70s and 80s listened to a hard rock Christian group called Petra? Okay. I worked many jobs as a young person. I loved having money. And one of the jobs I worked for, the Christian bookstore, Bull Street, Savannah, Georgia. And so I got to go through the new albums when they came in. The vinyl, long play albums, and it was Petra. And it was some sweet rock. But if you had that album, later the 8-track, if you had it, you would realize they snuck a hillbilly song on their album. Do you remember that? It was called Lucas McGraw. Let me read you the words, of Lucas McGraw, Lucas McGraw, what's come over you? Oh, by the way, this is written through the uh, uh, Robert Hartman of Petra wrote this song, but he wrote it through the eyes of non Christians when they saw one of their buddies become a Christian. Lucas McGraw, what's come over you? We're beginning to think you're touched. We hear you got religion. You you've not been around to, to see us much. You threw away your corncob pipe and your moonshine brew. And we hear you ain't been doing all the things you used to do. Lucas McGraw was come over you. You're shaving every day. You ain't been chasing women. And you kissed your wife today. You went to church last Sunday and you shook the preacher's hand. And they say that you've been talking about a home beyond this land. Lucas McGraw, let's come over you. You never cuss no more. We hear you ain't been feuding. You hung your rifle by the door. You take a bath each Sunday, if you need it or not. You go to work on Monday, even when it's hot. And we begin to think that you're touched. And we hear you got religion. You ain't been around to see us much. But you know, we've all been wondering if what you got just might be Real, And all the while we're laughing. Is it really God? Is it really God? Is it really God you feel? Lucas McGraw. Paul is saying in this text, and we didn't read these verses, but in verse 1, that you have been raised up with Christ, and that is referring to the baptism. When we are raised up, That's the baptism that we talked about in chapter 2. In verse 2 of this chapter 3, in fact, we need to set our mind on spiritual things, on Christ, on heaven. Verse 3, you know that you died to these things. Do not embarrass yourself by going back to that lifestyle. In verse 4, don't forget that Christ is coming, and and you're going to go be with Him if you do not give up faith. In verse 6... On account of these things, God is going to show His anger towards these things and those who do them at the judgment day. But then there's verses 7, 8, and 9. 7, 8, and 9 reads this way. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. You guys remember when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and when he called forth, he spoke by name, and he said, Come forth, and I believe personally that Lazarus' body came floating out of that grave. How do I believe that? Because he's in grave clothes. He's like a mummy. In fact, it says in the text that Jesus said, Unbind him and let him go. And therefore, I want to plant the idea, the seed in your mind, that that previous lifestyle we used to live and that sin that we used to commit, that sin we used to do, the, those are our grave clothes. And Jesus is saying, unbind him. Unbind her and let her go. Let her walk free in Christ And so I'm going to call it the grave clothes, the way we used to live. We put off the old self and the sinful practices, the grave clothes. And then secondly today, we put on the new. In 10 through 14 it says, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I like that. I like that. Put off the old, but we must put on something in its place. Instead of grave clothes, we put on grace. Grace. Clothes. When we live in love and compassion and humility, that is what we wear. That is what Christians should be known for, is faith in Christ and practicing of love. The grace clothes. In uh, the verse 11, let me read that again. In verse 11, here there is not Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, for Christ is all and in all. And so uh, we, we, we put on a new attitude of love and not one, listen to me, church, not one of racism. Racism is against everything that God has tried to do in our life. Now, you might not have thought of it that way, but this is why he mentions in verse 11 these names. And he says the the word barbarian, and he says Scythian. Now that Scythian is a a weird word to us, and it it means someone that did not speak Greek, that they were considered brutes, wild brutes, brutality. And when I think about that, they came from the south of uh, Russia, what is today south of Russia, and i think about something that happened back in 1993 the genocide in rwanda africa now some of you too young to remember that but it was it was evil it was horrible the tutsi and the hutu tribes of rwanda africa oh it was a sophisticated city so don't be thinking it's just out in the out in the bush out in the brush no it was a city and one tribe butchered Another tribe in civilized Rwanda, Africa. How many? 800,000 were shot or hacked up by machete in four months. It would have been a cry and shame if it had just been one or four. But it rocked the nation. No one trusted anyone. The Hutu extremists were killing the Tutsi community. It was a bloodbath. And they, they, the crowds ran in, in a daze, killing anyone in their path. And, and Paul uses this word Scythian because it's a put-down word. That's what it is. It's a put-down word. It's, it's name-calling. And it's where the sophisticated Greeks... Up there where Colossae is. The the, the sophisticated Greek teaching, they would use Scythian on someone that was ignorant or a simpleton. And and Paul is saying, we're not going to treat anyone like that. There's not going to be any name calling. You notice when the name calling starts, the conversation ends. And we're not going to live like that as Christians. And Paul's asking us not to do that. Christ... Transcends all barriers. He unifies all cultures and races and nations. And I love those texts in Revelation talking about the end of time that around the throne of God are all tribes and nations and peoples of the world. Anyone who lived as a disciple of Jesus and be willing to die for Christ will be there. <laughs> Anyone faithful. We have been recreated in the image of Jesus Christ, the one who created us. In the image of Christ, there is no distinction between blood type and skin color and geographical birthplace. There is is no distinction between someone who went to college and someone who did not, and someone who's got money and someone who does not. That's foolish talk. We are all one in Christ. There is no class level in the church, in the kingdom of the Lord. There is no higher plane or level or standing. The ground is level at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. And we all come, no matter who we are, in repentance of our sin. And we all give up our lives. And we take on Jesus and we put on Christ. And we're baptized into him. We put on him as a garment. No matter what tongue, no matter what tribe, no matter what nation, all are sinners coming to Christ in faith. And we must believe that. We must live that way or we are really hypocrites and a blight on the body of Jesus. In the image of Jesus, we must put on grace, clothes. And what do they look like? Verse 12 and 13 says, compassion, Kindness, humility, patience, <coughs> excuse me, bearing with one another. Oh, let's get back to some of that. Forgiving each other. We forgive just like the Lord forgave us. In fact, who are we to not forgive because Jesus forgave us? And so in verse 14, let's go grab that verse for a moment. In verse 14, it reads, and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony praise his name the greatest measurement of a christian the greatest earmark of a man or a woman of god is love first corinthians 13 paul wrote that if we don't have love anything else we've done for the kingdom is for naught it's nothing Because love must be present in the church, in the Christian's life. Uh, Because we studied in chapter 1 about Jesus is the very image of the Father. Uh, Jesus imaged. Jesus mirrored. Jesus was the exact imprint of the Father. When you saw Jesus, you saw the character of the Father. So, we are Christians. And we mirror Jesus Christ. We're trying to live our life that we're the exact imprint of Jesus. And we've got our work cut out for us, but we've got to do it. I want to challenge you that you would test yourself to see if you're even in the faith. Uh, that's strange talk, so let me turn to a scripture. Have you turn with me. Let's find 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. 2 Corinthians. Well, it would help me to get to Second Corinthians. I'm in first. Second <coughs> Corinthians thirteen five says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you failed failed to meet the test. That is bizarre talk, but what we need to do is, is meditate. We need reflection. We need to say, am I a hypocrite? Or am I really living the life? Am I really mirroring Jesus Christ here in Kankakee County? I want to bring something up. And it's, it's just an illustration. So, so don't look for flaws in, in, in this illustration because there are. It's just an illustration that we might be able to test ourselves to see if we're really in the faith. And here we go. All right, the first generation experiences faith. That's where uh, a man or a woman or maybe a husband and wife, it doesn't matter, but they come to Jesus. They are uh, living, they give up everything. Their home, they convert their home over. uh, They get rid of worldly things that would drag them down. They they, they get rid of certain uh, things. uh, cable packages because they're, they're no longer necessary or needed. They, they revolutionize their home because Christ has transformed their heart and mind. And it's part of their sanctification process, setting themselves apart for Jesus, that they clean up their life. They, they do this put-off, put-on that I've been talking about. That's the first generation. And, and while children are born into that family, each person must seek a personal relationship uh, with Lord Jesus for themselves. Uh, you are not a Christian because your mom and dad were a Christian. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, all right. When each person experiences faith for themselves, then the faith uh, will continue in your life, and it is beautiful. It has opportunity to spread to the next generation. So the second generation sometimes inherits faith. Now, I, this is just a theory, so don't, don't, don't lose it. Being born into Christ, into a Christ-following home, happens a lot. It is a wonderful privilege to be raised up in a home like this where everything in the home is about church and faith in, in, in the Lord Jesus And I know that there's really no second-generation Christians like that. It's just an illustration. However, unless the second generation that comes along actually gets converted to Jesus, then, then all they did was inherit faith. There was no conversion process. Do you understand that? It is possible to be baptized because that's the Christian thing to do and there was no conversion to Jesus. Your heart's not surrendered to Christ. And so it's very important to ask ourselves, test ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Did you, inherit, did you inherit faith? There is a danger that you didn't experience conversion, that you just inherited the example of your parents and you're mimicking that. And you didn't get saved. Does that make sense in this theory, in this illustration? And then third, the third generation, that would be grandchildren. <coughs> it becomes a religion of convenience. You have it when you get married. I want a church wedding. We have it when there's a funeral, when grandma or grandpa dies, we're going to call upon the church, and and they're going to bring a meal over to the house. We're going to have a Christian funeral, you see? It's a matter of convenience. And it's a very dangerous position uh, because what it says is, I have my, my real life outside the church. I only need the church when... It's a matter of convenience. I only need the church when I'm going through a crisis. We were in a terrible car wreck last week, you say. And we, we, need, we need the church's prayers. So they call up, and the preacher goes to the hospital and visits. You see, Christianity in that way is just a matter of convenience. There's no conversion to Jesus. Does that part make sense? Okay. It may, it may not to some, but it's just an illustration. What, what that convenience says is, I need Jesus in the genie bottle. And I got my life out here. Jesus really isn't part of it. But boy, when I need Jesus, I'm going to rub the genie bottle. Come on out, Jesus. I got, I'm going to give you three wishes. What do you need? And people treat Jesus like that. And Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. Jesus is Lord of all creation. And he's Lord of our lives. And we do what he says to do when he says to do it because I'm not Lord of my life anymore. I put off those things. I put on grace. And so we look at this. The fourth generation, in theory, would be the great-grandkids. Faith becomes a nuisance. It's a nuisance. The saddest of all generations is when uh, the generation sees no use in faith at all. It's the worst one. This happens when the transfer of faith from generation to generation fails to move that generation to an experience of conversion in Jesus. And they didn't really give up anything. And, And they're bored with the Bible. And they're bored with church. And don't see any need for that. And don't believe that. And it's a nuisance. And that can happen. And we need to test ourselves to see where we are. And we need to deal with it and get going. Every son or daughter in our church must experience faith for themselves. It's where we must go through the recognition of sin in our life. And we must go through the struggle of, will I live this life for myself? Meaning, if no one else in my family lives it, I'm going to live it. Mom and dad can quit. I'm still here. My brothers and sisters can quit. I'm still here because I gave my life to Jesus. Jesus won my heart, and I'm never going to turn my back on him. What is it for you, church? Let me tell you this. Inherited faith, convenience faith, and nuisance faith. If we live those three, the church is dead. We're going through the motions. It'll die. There will not be a church. And so we will become, verse 2, in chapter 3 of Colossians, in verse 2 says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Put off the sin, grave clothes... Put on Christ-like character, grace, clothes, And then I want to get ready to close with this third point. The third point is to put forth in verses 15 through 17. Let's read them. (coughs) Excuse me. 15, 16, and 17 reads, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word, in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Boy, I love that verse. That, that really ought to be a powerful verse to memorize. And John three sixteen that we quoted earlier today at communion, that's a favorite verse of a lot of people. Boy, that verse right there could be a, a powerhouse verse. Uh, verse 15, what are we going to put forth? We're going to put forth thanksgiving. Christians should be the most thankful people on the face of the earth. Verse 16, we're going to put forth Teaching, verse 16. We're going to put forth teaching. Uh, we would like to start small groups here in people's homes here. And uh, man, man, pray about that. And, and see where we could throughout the county open up some Bible studies during the week. And, and let people, let, let, invite neighbors to come in that, that uh, hey, they would like to tag into a Bible study. They don't understand that church thing, but they'd like to know what the Bible says. And your home could be available. That's exciting. And then we we put forth admonishing. Now, we don't know what that admonishing word means. But it says it right there in verse 16 that we admonish one another. And it's this. We correct. We warn. We advise. We urge our brothers and sisters in Christ. What are you talking about? I'm saying, well, there's times when we, we get off the straight and narrow path. And we need to know that somebody loves me enough that they're going to say, what's going on in your life? Hey, you're not the same anymore. We admonish, we encourage, we say, hey, that's not good. And someone needs to be uh, speaking into your life, and you need to let them speak into your life. And so then verse 17, and all that we do, we put forth the word. We put forth doing good deeds in our community in each other's lives. We speak into each other's lives. And we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. We need to be controlled by His Holy Spirit. But to listen, verse 17 spells out the difference. Verse 17 spells out the difference between the grave clothes and the grace clothes. Verse 17, when it said... And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In other words, when we have an attitude that we do everything in the name of Jesus, then that means what we talked about earlier in verse 5, we cannot carry out verse 5 in the name of Jesus. Let me read verse 5 again. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly, We cannot carry out sexual immorality in the name of Jesus. Do everything in word or deed in the name of Jesus. We cannot carry out impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, greed. He says it's all idolatry. And then we cannot carry out uh, verses uh, uh, 7 and 8 in the name of Jesus. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And so we cannot practice those things in the name of Jesus. That's the difference between grave clothes and grace clothes. In the name of Jesus. And so we give everything to Christ. And so I think the test, that, that's not a test where someone judges your life. It's a test where you get honest with God. It could be at communion time. When you are getting ready to partake of the bread and, and, and the fruit of the vine or the cup. And you're thanking God for your, your forgiveness. He forgave you and you're remembering some things that you've been practicing in your life, and you just feel so horrible, you feel so guilty for it, and you test yourself and you say, I'm going to stop that. I want my life to count for Jesus. And it it might be a communion time, the Lord's Supper, when we do that. It might be an invitation time, like right now, where we pray for one another. In fact, you know part of invitation time is you might want to come up and and pray with, we have an elder that comes and stands over here while I issue the invitation, and you might want to come and say, I need prayer, and they'll pray with you today. We don't want you to leave the room without feeling those prayers before you leave. Praise God. But part of that test, that evaluation, is where we say, Lord Jesus, I'm so glad you died for me. I am so unworthy. I do not deserve this. I'm going I'm to give my life to you. And I repent of that lifestyle. I will not live like that anymore. And you go home and you start throwing some stuff away <coughs> before you get home. You say, if you've never been immersed, if you've never been dunked, if you've never been planted underwater... You do that. That's the way John the Baptist did it. That's the way Jesus did it. That's the way the apostles did it. And we practice that today. We get dunked under the water. Because why? It's a burial. Jesus died, was buried, raised to a new life. We die with him, and we are raised to walk in newness of life. And so that's the invitation. But understand this. Whereas you're gaining a Savior, you're also gaining a Lord... And you give everything of your life to him right now. It's not yours anymore. You put that off. You put on his character. You live by his teachings. And you put forth a life of praise and thanksgiving and the word of God. Would you answer an invitation like that? Where you're forgiven of your sins. You're given the gift of God's Holy Spirit that your name is put written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Would you answer an an invitation like that where you say, "I, I, I am so humiliated that I have sinned against this great God and I will give my life to Him and live for Him daily for the rest of my life. Could you serve a God that's so loving and caring? Give your life to Him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I bow before you today knowing that I have not lived this life perfectly. That embarrasses me, Lord. But I also pray, dear God, for men and women and boys and girls here in this auditorium. I pray for them, dear God, because they may have struggled as well. They may not have gotten it down pat. And they too come and say, please forgive me. And you will. And you do. But God, I pray for those that are really struggling. I pray, Father, for those that never gave their life to Jesus, that they would do so today, and they would reap the benefits of love, peace, and joy, having Jesus. So may you be praised and lifted up today, dear God, as people respond. In Jesus' name, amen.